Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host. I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Thomas Turgoose. I've been trying to get this one uh, sorted for a while, and ah, oh, it was worth the wait. It's uh, it's a cracking listen, and uh, and we chat about some great music. Of course, we chat about this is England. We chat about creation stories, uh, Eden Lake, and and yeah, we just talk about Tomo's life, and it's uh, it's a wonderful natter, and you're going to enjoy it. Before we start that chat, um, just a few thank yous. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and all my friends at the Distraction Pieces Network. Uh, thank you to Seventy Six for producing this podcast, and also if this is your first time listening to uh, Off The Beaten Track, then uh, when you finish listening to my chat with Tomo, go and have a, a look in the archives because if you like your actors, um, then you can hear me talking to um, a fellow. This is England, um, stars uh, Johnny Harris, Joe Hartley, uh, Helen Bean. Um, you can hear me talking to uh, Amanda Abington, Maxine Peake, Michael Smiley. Uh, and if you like musicians, then I've spoke to artists as diverse as Fatboy Slim, Tommy Lee, Foo Fighters, uh, Fatboy Slim. So go and go and have a rummage in the archives. I'm sure you'll find uh, some some chats that will um, interest you. Um, and if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that um, on Patreon. Uh, it's p a t r e o n dot com forward slash off the beaten track. And then there's about 200 episodes over there that have never been released to the public. Loads of video episodes of all my chats, um, radio shows. I put out a couple a week, and I think to support the podcast, you can sign up for a month, and I think it's generally about 71p a week to, to get access to all of that and, and support the pod. Um, you can find out about everything to do with this podcast at your one-stop shop, which is www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Com. Right, that's it. That's all that's all my uh, pitching and, and, and hustling done. We can get onto the good stuff and the reason that you're here. Please enjoy this wonderful episode of Off the Beaten Track Podcast with Thomas Turgoose. It's Off the Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network with me, Stu Whipping. Right, we are recording. And sitting opposite me today, Thomas Turgos. Hello. Hello, mate. How's it going? All right. All right. Um, Good man. We finally got you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been saying for a long time we should do something, haven't we? So so we're here and we're going to talk records. But before we talk records, Tom, I want to know how you found the last sort of 10, 11 months, both as a human being and and as, as a creative, as an actor. Um. It's it's been difficult as an actor um, because you feel very like useless in a way. Not to sound, you know, I, I'm very fortunate. I've got a lot of good family and friends around me. Not obviously in the same household, um, but you know, I've got a lot of people that that I trust and I can speak to every day. And you know, they sort of keep me sane. But you know, not to sound very, very much not in a depressed way, but feeling very useless in the sense that it's difficult to get out of bed in the morning and think, shit, what can I do today? Like, what am I doing? Because, you know, there's only so many, you, you can sit and you can, you know, people say you can practice your accents or you can record monologues or you can do this and do that. You can't do that every day for 11 months. And it's kind of, it's difficult. I mean, I'm very, I was very fortunate sort of through the first lockdown. I, I had a couple of jobs that was being released. 
um, I had a film called Looted that was out sort of earlier on uh, towards the end of last year. And I was so busy with that, sort of doing a lot of, you know, press stuff and podcasts and just sort of getting excited again. And, and, and that was sort of the highlight of it for me um and you know recently you know a lot a lot more scripts have been coming in so i've been doing a lot of reading and, and things like that um so as an actor it's been tough um but as a human i mean i'm very much a home bird anyway I, I stay obviously being an actor it's you can be away for six or seven months on a job and you know as you get older you know, you don't go out on the piss every night when you're when you're working. As a kid, maybe when I was 17, 18, I was out a lot, socialising a lot. Whereas as an adult, you know, people don't want to do that. People have got kids that they need to FaceTime and, you know, people are, are, are like myself are a bit more sort of... I, I take my, my work more seriously now than I did when I was a kid. So the idea of going out on the piss the day the day before I've got a, a big day at work, it would, I would never do that now. So it kind of... You sort of learn to be in your own company, Um so yeah, as a, as a, just as a person, just as me, as Tomo, I've been all right. And um, I mean, I spend a lot of time on Call of Duty at the moment. I'm getting, uh, I've been getting really, really good on Call of Duty. Um, I managed to get my hands on one of the new Xboxes. So, um, so I've just been, you know, it, it might sound a bit sad, but I think without my Xbox, I, I don't know what I'd have done. You know, I've spent a lot of time on that recently, which I ne- wouldn't necessarily be doing if I was working. But yeah. it's kind of like. I enjoy it now. And it's kind of difficult because I'll sit on it throughout the day. And then my wife, Charlotte, she's a nursery nurse. So she's still working at the moment. So when she gets home from work, I'm a bit like, I've got to peel myself away from battle. And I'm a bit like, no, I've got to go, lads. Charlotte's home. It's one of them. Um, So, yeah, but then you sort of come nine, ten o'clock, I'll be texting the lads. I'm like, right, it's game on. Let's go back to war. Um, So, yeah, I've been all right. I've been, I've sort of been, I've been plodding along. And I learned a lot about myself as well. You know, I've learned a lot about, you know, in the way, in the sense that spending a lot of time on your own, it can be, you can spend a lot of time in your own thoughts. So if you can sort of get those thoughts. You're comfortable on your own. I am comfortable on my own, yeah. I mean, I am very much like an excited puppy. When Charlotte gets home from work, and, you know, sometimes, you know, before the Call of Duty days, I would be sitting and watching telly, and when I hear a car pull up on the front, I'm like a puppy. I'm like, ooh, oh, Charlotte's home. Like, oh, let's do stuff. Let's go out and, now, you know, let's go for a walk or let's do this. And Charlotte's like, I've been at work all day, Tomo. I'm knackered. So it's kind of like... So I just went out. I don't want to be winding her up. So, but I mean, I clean the house. I, I cook a lot. Um, you know, just before I started this, I changed the washing and things like that. So I keep myself busy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've done done a lot of growing up over the last sort of, like you say, eleven months. Has it been eleven months now? Something since like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, look, if you can't find the benefits in the bad, then you know that, that there's maybe problems there. But I think I, I'm one of them that no matter what how bad the situation is, there is there is good there is always good to come out of the bad so yeah i've kind of um managed to find that and uh yeah i've been all right mate i've been all right good let's talk records tomo yeah track one i'm going to ask you the song that you think's got the greatest ever intro well this was um i, I must say mate the questions are great as well they really got me thinking i mean because you sent them sort of earlier on and uh i've been really sort of pondering over and there's so many different answers to every question. You uh, can have some honourable mentions, mate. If you've got a few that you couldn't pick, then you can... Uh... Well, the, well, the first one, I, I really couldn't decide on one um, for many reasons. But the first one was um, the greatest intro that sort of gets me feeling like, wow, it was I Want to Be Adored by the Stone Roses for me. And the, the reason being is, I think it would have been about two, three years ago um, when the Stone Roses played the Etihad in Manchester. Um, me and all the lads went and it was one of them we booked a hotel <clears throat> and we started early so we was on the we was in the Witherspoons by 11 o'clock um, and it was you know it was a full day sesh and, uh, and you know when you're on a big day sesh when you've got all the gigs are going but as soon as the Stone Roses came, and, and we were steaming we were steaming but as soon as the Roses came on we just sort of like fixated on the stage and we was all just blown away by it um, and my mate Biff, um, Jack, uh, he got me on his shoulders just at the, the, the time when um, they started the instrumentals to I Want to Be Adored. And I remember just turning around and just seeing everyone just in this trance. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now. Just everyone was in this trance and there was smoke smoke bombs everywhere and every, the bucket hats everywhere and everyone was just, everyone was just in, in that same 
sort of mindset and that beautiful feeling that that created and just that and every you know when everyone's singing da, 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 yeah and it went mental and it was just uh it was just one of the best memories that I've ever it I say it all the time, but whenever I go to a good gig, I'm like, I think that might have been up there with my best gig ever. Yeah. But when people say to me, what's the best live gig you've ever been to? That's the, the go-to um, for me, definitely. I think it's just um, just, a, just a beautiful memories and just the colours of the smoke bombs. and Yeah, just, yeah it was just beautiful. I heard somebody refer to uh, one of the f- sort of early Rosie's reunion shows as like the greatest karaoke crowd you could ever have been in. He said like oh. everybody was just bellowing every word to every song. Oh. And like, and they, that- go on. No, go on. I was just, just going to say that they... They create such an atmosphere at their gigs and everyone's so friendly. And I mean, it can sometimes for me, because the Stone Roses, the the audience that This Is England attracted was very much the Stone Roses crowd. So, you know, there was probably an handful of people in that arena that hadn't seen This Is England. So for me, I I just, you know, I had my hat on and I was just, and and that's when I sort of, I I always end up getting steaming because then I'm like, right, well, I can drown that out then. People staring at me, that's fine. So then I'm steaming and I can enjoy it. But for some reason at the Roses gigs, no one really, no one comes up and goes, oh, you know, the odd person will come up and have a photo, but, you know, people will just be buzzing and everyone's just buzzing just to have a good time. And I don't know what it is, but I've been to see the Roses loads of times and every time it's just always been a friendly crowd and everyone's just sort of buzzing that buzzing that I'm there you know in the mosh pits with them all and just having good fun and yeah so yeah the Stone Roses have managed to create that sort of or did manage to create that um, sort of beautiful atmosphere and sort of almost like euphoric sort of feeling when when they're playing it's um, it's beautiful so I mean you're, you're you're a young man, Tomo. I'm I'm 47. I caught it first time round, and, yeah. and and it was magical then. And I was, you know, blown away. And I asked Joe Hartley this as well. And, and obviously, Joe wasn't in as many scenes on that part as as what you was. Like, how did it feel to kind of get to almost experience that again on This Is England '90? Yeah. Well, it was. Because of the way that Shane Meadows, who wrote and directed it, um, because of the way that he shoots, he's very much like if he wants to film, if he wants to shoot a party, he'll have a fucking party, yeah. and there'll just be cameramen there. So it's it, we just managed to we just have so much fun, man. Like he'll he'll come up to us and he'll say, "Oh, there's a you know a room of two hundred extras um, or background artists." Sorry. Um, It'll, we'll all be there and he'll come up and he'll say, oh, in the corner or in this little back room or if you go to the bar, you know, they'll give you whatever you want, drinks-wise. And we just end up having a fucking massive session. Um, <laughs> and it's it's the only job that I've ever been on where I've been at work and I've woke up hungover. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just a, the beautiful sort of feels... It feels very real. Um, I mean, I would have loved to have caught the, the roses the first time round, And also, I would have loved to have been an extra... Uh, not an extra. Um, I would have loved to have been like a crew member on Made of Stone that yeah. Shane Meadows made, because I mean, and and I know from speaking to Shane that that was a boy a dream job for him. Yeah, like just getting to fly around the world with with the people who he's grown up listening to. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just uh, just managed to create some beautiful memories on 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 set of that, particularly with the you know the sort of parties and rave scenes that we shot and yeah. So how did you discover the Roses? <sighs> The first time, the first time, Ian Brown was on set of This Is England because oh, he was an he extra. Was on 86, wasn't he? Or 88? Yeah, wasn't he, 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 yeah. He, he was an. Uh, he played a police officer. I keep saying extra. I'm sorry. Um, he was a, a background artist on uh, 86. He played a police officer um, during the big fight scene, and everyone, particularly Joe Gilgan, who played Woody, he was he lost his shit. <laughs> like he could, I, I've never seen Joe Gilgan like that because. Joe's very much the alpha male of uh, the, the leader of our gang uh, when we're on set. You know, we all look up to Joe, you know, out of work as well. And when I saw Joe sort of talking to Ian Brown, I was like, what, what are you doing, Joe? And I was like, because <laughs> obviously I'd heard of the Stone Roses, but I'd never, I'd never really, and I'd, I knew a few of the songs, but I was not really as fixated as I am now which Ian probably loved, you know, and, and, and Ian was staying in our flats with us and we had such a good time just chilling and we was all play fighting. We we all had this thing where on, on This Is England 86, we would all 
play fight to the point where it sometimes got a bit serious. We'd all just be messing around. And I remember Ian was in, I think it might have been Woody's flat. And he was just in the corner with a big spliff on. And he was like, I think he must have been looking good. What the fuck's going on here? I'm just kicking shit out of each other. Um, so that was the first sort of, that was the, the first meeting with with the Stone Roses. And then Ian then invited us to go to Heaton Park when the, he did a show of his own. Um, it might have been for, um, there's a festival in Manchester at Heaton Park. What's the festival called? It's quite a big one. Is it Park Life? Did they do that at Heaton yeah. Park? We might have gone there. So Ian it, it took us all along with him to, to one of his gigs. And I, again, it was one of them I just saw. And when he did um, Fear, F-E-A-R, I remember just thinking, and, and um, one of the lads had said to me, you know, he explained the, the meaning of F-E-R and how every sort of beginning of every um, uh, lyric is F-E-A-R, fear. Um, and I remember thinking, that's fucking genius, that. Yeah. The whole song and, and just uh, the crowd. And I think the crowds are the main things for me, particularly with Rose's gigs. Um, they're just such a, it's just so euphoric. Um, but that was sort of the, the first time that I'd seen Ian Brown because obviously that, you know, Manny and the rest of them wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and from then on, I was just sort of, it was one of them that you just put it on in the car while she's driving and, um, yeah, man, it's, it's, I, I sort of go in, fo- in, in phases with the Stone Roses. I'll not listen to them for a long time and then I'll put them on in the car. And again, just going back to the intro, when that intro of I want to be, or even or like, you know, when Waterfall or, the intros are Sally Cinnamon. Mm. The intros just get you straight away. And when you're driving, it's like I go away from myself. And I'm almost like, you, you know, you do that thing when when you was a kid and you'd have your earphones in and you was, you'd pretend you was in a music video. Yeah. It's almost like that. You, you're sort of just driving Sorry, along. Sorry, Joe, you're only allowed to do that when you're a kid. Mate, I do that oh, every it. day, man. I, I'm, I am Richard Ashcroft every time I'm walking down the street yes, with my mate. headphones yeah, on. Exactly, exactly. So that's <laughs> it's that sort of feeling. And it's like for, for, for artists to be able to get their fans to take themselves to that place every time. Having not listened, you know, having listened to them for a long time, it's. I think it's a real talent, um, and it just shows what what their music means to people. You know, it's not just noise in the ears. It's it's very much it grabs you in a way that, you know, very few artists have managed to create. And it, you know, I guess it's different for other people, but I guess I've just got a lot of affiliation with with the Stone Roses, and you know, I've had a spliff with Ian Brown. So what more do you <laughs> want out of life? I was about to say that not many people can say that they've done that, but I bet there's fucking thousands of people. <laughs> and this is very much when I was a kid as well, by the way. I don't do that any of that anymore. <laughs> well, well, let's let's go back to uh, to, to you as a, as a kid. And for track two, Tom, I'm going to ask you the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Um, this one, um, straight away. So me and it came to me very quickly. This one, I. Me and my dad, we flew to Rome when I was 14. Um, my mum had passed away and I didn't live with my dad. Um, my mum was on set with us filming all the way through This Is England. Um, she passed away at the uh, before it was released. So I moved in with my dad and I've never... I knew my dad, but I never was never really close with him. So it was a weird territory. I was in this in this house with him that, you know, I didn't really know him that well. And then I... Shane, it was for the... Uh, was it? It was for the Rome Film Festival. Um, me and my dad flew over to to Rome, and I'd never seen. I'd not seen this is England. My dad didn't really know much about it. He knew that I was that I'd done this film, and he never really knew what it was, or you know who was involved, or the impact it was going to have on so many people's lives. Um, and at the end of the film, Shane Meadows never told me that he dedicated it to my mum. So at the end, it's, it pops up at the end that. Um, in loving memory of Sharon Tegus, who's obviously my mum. And over the back of that, of the credits and the the last scene of This Is England, um, Clay Hill covered a version of the Smiths, please, please, please let me get what I want. Um, And when that popped up at the end, um, that it was dedicated to my mum, and we got, and this is no word of a lie, a a 25, 30-minute standing ovation in Rome in a theatre of probably six, 700 Italian people. And I was like, and it blew me away. And it's the first time that I really remember having a proper hug with my dad. And it was like, and he, and he, and he said to me, I'm so proud of you, mate. And 
yeah, it was just that 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 sort of emotion that that we got from that, and I can. It was almost like in slow motion, you know, turning around and there's all these people, you know, clapping, and and it was just it was one of the most beautiful moments that I've ever had and ever will have. Um, so yeah, that 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 song really does mean a lot to me, and every time I hear that song, it takes me back to that memory as clear as day. So, yeah. Tom, I don't think anyone's answered that question any more beautifully than that, mate. Oh, <laughs> oh mate, yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm just, uh, and it makes me really, really appreciate it. And, and, you know, it's, I think it was just the most beautiful gesture from Shane to do that, to dedicate the film to my mum. Yeah, because she never got to saw that, she never got to see the final product. So he knew how much that had mean to me. So, yeah. So if you are listening, Shane, thank you. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And so, and so where was uh, home uh, in those early days? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Grimsby. Um, we, my mum was a single mum, um, and we sort of moved around the town. Um, you know, we lived in a lot of the rougher areas of the town because my mum, she, she never worked. So, you know, we never really had much money. So we was in a lot of council houses. So just the two of you, uh, no, there was me and my eldest brother, Carl. Um, so we'd sort of, excuse me. So we moved around and we spent, spent time on, on the Gilby estate. Then we was on the Yarborough, then we was on the Nunsthorpe. And so all of the sort of rougher areas of Grimsby. Um, so, yeah, we sort of spent a lot of time moving around. Um, and, yeah, so that, that's the, the, so I was sort of brought up all over the town, really. So even now when I walk, you know, people say, oh, these estates are really bad, like, you know, the Nunsthorpe's bad. Or da, da, da. I'm really lucky because I moved around them a lot when I was a kid, so... I know most of the people around there, not so much anymore because yeah. the people who was feared back then, they're all older now. So, you know what it's like nowadays, the kids are on the streets, don't they? Yeah. So, yeah, but, you know, everyone always said, oh, you know, probably wouldn't walk around there, but I always felt safe all over the town. So, yeah, um, and that's where Shane Meadows and Des Hamilton, who cast the film, um, discovered me um, on the East Marsh Estate. So, yeah, that's where, uh, that's where it all started. Well, let's stay in them formative years for, for track three, Tomo. And the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Well, I never really went to school. <laughs> <laughs> I never really went. Um, but these, there was... Um, right, hang on. You never went to school, right? So there's two reasons. You was acting or you just fucked it off? I just couldn't be asked a lot of the time. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, for the first sort of three years of school, I was so busy. I was I obviously I'd made this in England when I was 14. Um, fortunate enough, fortunate enough to travel around the world and sort of, you know, go to all these beautiful places with the film and the festivals and whatnot. Um, so I never really spent that much time in school, and then I, w- I was pretty much non-stop work. Um, and then I got to fifth. I mean, I, I went, I went back for the last two years, last year, and did my GCSEs. Um, and that's when I felt at my most normal. You know, I got, I, I got a girlfriend. Um, pretty quickly when I was in school, um, who I, I was with for four years. Um, so I sort of had this very normal sort of school life. You know, no, no one really in the school really cared about what I did. Every, you know, I had a, I had a lot of friends. Um, did, you find that, I, did you find that grand in Tomo? Yeah. 
definitely. And it's what I needed. I needed, I needed, uh, you know, my family and in particular, I mean, look, I, I'm not going to sit and talk about my ex-girlfriend because I'm happily married now, but you know, my ex-girlfriend's family, I'll always remember her dad, you know, he was so brutal with me a lot of the time. And I don't know, I don't know what it was, but something about him, he was always, he always used to say this thing, keep your hands in your pockets and keep whistling. You know, whenever I was around the house, I don't know what he meant by it, but just little things like that, uh, you know, and the way that my dad was with me and the way that all my friends were, were with, with me. Because, you know, if I, if I was out with my friends and I was talking about myself all the time and talking about work, they'd very quickly tell me to shut up because I was boring them. Yeah. And that's exactly what I needed. Um, but I remember I bought an iPod not long after I moved in with my dad. Um, and I used to have it on all the time. It was one of those little iPod nanos. Um, and I had it on all the time. And the song that always used to come on was, um, you'll have to forgive me if I pronounce it wrong, but it was Sandy Tom or Sandy Thom, the I Wish I Was a Punk Rocker. Yeah. You remember, you know what song I'm yeah, on yeah, about? Yeah, it? Yeah, I yeah. Wish I Was a Punk Rocker. I won't sing it because I'll ruin the song. But for some reason, that was the first song that came to my head because I used to, I used to go on my bike to school, my, my, my iPod on, and just, I don't know, I, I remember, it's one of them songs as well that when you put it on very loudly, you can sing at the top of your voice and it almost feels like you're a good singer. Um, you think, it's never oh, the case, mate. It's never the no, case. No, because if you turn it off halfway through, you realise that you've got a terrible voice. But um, for some reason, I, God knows, I must have been biking past people in the morning on the way to school with my, my iPod on full blast singing. And they must have just been like, Christ, that kid's quite happy, isn't he? <laughs> but yeah, for some reason. And then every time it pops up, you know, it pops up last night, actually. Um it pops up on uh, on shuffle on my uh, on my on Spotify and uh, yeah I don't know what it is it's just uh, it just it just takes me back to biking to school when I was a kid um, and it's a pretty cool song I quite like it and so I normally ask um, guests what they wanted to be when they were at school but you was kind of doing it when you was at school right yeah but I wasn't sure it's what I wanted to do really mm. I mean. Look, it's it's no secret that the only reason I did this is England was because I got told that I'd get paid money for it because I was thirteen year old kid and I, all I wanted was all I wanted was money to you know to to treat my mom and buy my friends Chinese food and you know buy a little crosser things like that um, and that very quickly changed you know I, I after I'd finished this is England and I went straight onto another job with Stephen Graham. Um, which got cancelled after three episodes, I think. It was called The Innocence Project um, on BBC. Um, and then I then went on to do more and more. And the more that I... The more and more time that I spent on set with people like Stephen Graham, um, who's taught me so much, not only, you know, in my personal life, but in, you know, the ways to to put yourself out there on screen when you're doing your interviews, your podcasts and things like that. Um, I very quickly learned that, if you're in the game for the money, then, you know, you, you, you need to really care for the characters that you're playing. And, and that's always what I've done. You know, if I, if I, if I'm playing a character that's, you know, going through a lot in, in, in it, going through a lot emotionally, I really take myself to a very emotional place in my own personal life. So, you know, it's kind of like you've really, and, and to do that, you've really got to care about it because, if you don't, if you take yourself to emotional places when you don't necessarily have to, you can really start to sort of get in your own head a lot. And it's about finding that fine line between doing it for the character to make it believable, but also you need to look after yourself. Because, you know, some of the things that I think about and, and, and the places that I take myself to in order to get the emotions, as soon as they say cut, I don't just stop. That doesn't, the emotions don't switch off. You know, I, I'll go back to the to the, the accommodation at night, and and sometimes it, it really sort of starts, it can really take a toll on you. So, yeah, you sort of like, and 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 it was at that point where I really realised that you know I really really do care about my job and I care about what I want to do. So I was very fortunate that I did learn that quite young. But sort of during this is England the film, I never really, I never wanted to be an actor. I just sort of. Yeah, I just wanted to sort of get it done and and get my money really. But as, when they said, and that's a wrap for the final scene that we shot, and we had the wrap party, and then I realised, I thought 
God, I'm never going to see these people again. They've taught me so much and they've, they've become my family. And I thought, I'm never going to see these people again. And it was, it was then, and I just thought, fucking hell, man, I want to do everything I can to make sure that every job that I do is special and it means something to me. So, because money, money comes and goes, you know, you spend it on shit and the, 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 the relationships and, and the friends that you can make and, and the relationships that you, you know, you, you very, very quickly create when you're on set is priceless. So, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you see so many people, you know, when they're accepting awards or doing, you know, press junkets and stuff saying, oh, it was, it was great on set, you know, we're just one family. And, and half the time, the sceptic in me is always like, bollocks. But <laughs> when I see the relationship from the cast of This Is England, mm. you can tell there's something special there. Oh, just, just, like... just from my armchair looking in, I just think that there's, there's something special there. Yeah, it really is, and it's. Um, I've I've recently just rewatched um, the This Is England series. I've not seen them since it was on TV, so very very long time ago. Um, and it just brought back so many beautiful. I was texting Shane um, Shane about it, just saying like, and again, not that I have to because he knows how appreciative I am, but just thanking him for the memories that we've had and the friends that we've, you know, the the the, the love that we've all got for each other. I mean. Going back to Call of Duty, I'm on, you know, in, in our little clan. We've got, uh, there's me and Andy Ellis who plays Gadget. Oh, you know Andy anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm on Call of Duty every night with Andy Ellis and I speak to Vicky McClaw most days and Stephen Graham most days and um, I FaceTime Michael Soccer for probably two hours of every day. Um, so these people aren't just people that I work with or have worked with. These are people that, I love to bits, you know, they was very much at the top of my list when me and my wife, Charlotte, when we was writing our list of people that we want to be there, they was very much at the top of that. Um, and it's so bizarre to think because you work with people, you go and you, you spend so much time with people um, when you're on set and you, you've, you're forced to have a, a relationship almost with these people because you know, I, I I was on a job last year, not last year, the, the year before. I was in Manchester for seven months. And I saw Charlotte probably ten times in seven months. But every single day I woke up and I was with these people who I never knew before the job. And it's sort of like these people become your life. They're your, you're spending every day with these people. So it's kind of like it can be very, it can be very stressful in, in a sense that, you know, you... you you, you're forced to sort of build a, a lifetime of, of, of relationships and trust with these people in a very short amount of time. Whereas with This Is England, it just happened. We become this gang very, very quickly. And that's what Shane very cleverly sort of, you know, manipulated in a way that when we had time at the beginning of shooting, we, we, there was rehearsal times. And by rehearsal, we mean we went to Alton Towers and we went to the arcades and we went bowling and, we did, and we lived together, and we did all these things that friends do. And very quickly, that's when it just sort of, yeah, it just happened. It just happened that we was all, we was all, we was all meant to meet. That's that. That's the funny thing is, there's, you know, I, I'm a strong believer in the people who walk or come into your lives at the right time. And those people, you know, God knows what I'd been doing if I didn't know all them people, and God knows what I'd have been doing if all those people didn't promise me that they would stay in touch with me and have me in their lives because. Well, I, I, I don't know what I'd be doing if, you know, I went, I, I, as soon as we finished filming, one of the first things I was doing is going down and staying with Stephen Graham and his family, you know, and most weekends I was with them every, every weekend. And um, yeah, I just, I don't know what I'd have done if I didn't have that relationship with those people. What was the first record you bought, Tomo? The first record I ever bought, um, it was... Uh, it was an album for my mum when I got paid from This Is England. Uh, I know it wasn't even my pay. It was my per, di- per, per, diem, per diems. My per diems, basically my living costs, my, to buy food and things for the, for the accommodation that I was staying in. I think it was like £70 a week or something, um, which as a kid I was like, fucking hell, I'm rich. <laughs> um, and my mum was obsessed with Robbie Williams. She loved Robbie Williams. Um, Angels was the song that was played at my mum's funeral. 
Um, but going back to to the first album that I bought was um, Robbie Williams. It was it, it was a Escapology. It was one of one of his early albums. I think it might have been two thousand and two or three. It was released. Yeah. Um, so I would have I would have done the film in two thousand five. So it was a couple of years old. But I remember going to H and V when I got my money and coming back to Grimsby for the first weekend. And I was like, the first thing I'm going to do is treat my mum. So I went into town and uh, I bought a Robbie Williams Escapology. And even now, listening back to, he's another one, Robbie Williams. I can put him on in the car and I, I, I love him. I think he's brilliant. I've been to, my, my friend, bless him, got me some tickets to go see him for the first time. Um, would have been maybe my 22nd birthday or maybe my 23rd birthday. Um, he, he bought me and Charlotte some tickets to go and see him in Manchester. But then it just so happens that we went to the One Love concert, you know, for the... Yeah the attack on the uh, the arena um and then we so we was in manchester watching robbie williams on the friday um and then we went on the saturday to the one love thing and robbie williams was there again so i'd never seen him always sort of wanted to to sort of to sort of i don't know you sort of I, I, when i was watching him i was thinking about my mom and thinking about how she would have lost her shit if she was here so yeah it was kind of nice and then i, I kind of got i got to do that twice in two days so yeah, it kind of um, it all worked out really well. But yeah, it was uh, yeah. Robbie Williams was the first album that I ever bought. But for myself, for myself, I reckon the first one, the first one that comes to mind, would have probably been Eminem, Curtain Call, the deluxe edition. Me and my brother used to sit in um, in 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 our bedroom playing FIFA. And uh, my brother used to know every word to every single song on that album. And I remember just thinking, Jesus Christ, that's amazing. I was really <laughs> impressed by it. Uh, but again, even, even, with, um, even with the, you know, the Curtain Call album, I, I, I put that on now and I can still enjoy it as much as I did the first time. And now I know all the words to it. So, yeah. <laughs> in regards to records and, and you know, and, and being at home with, uh, you know, your mum and your brother growing up, was, was there always music on at home? Yeah. But my mum's music taste was, um, she loved happy hardcore. Nice. She was very much happy hardcore, like Field of Dreams and Shooting Star and all that sort of thing. And uh, Scooter, I remember like Scooter was always on in our house when we was kids. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, that sort of music always gets me going. I always think happy hardcore, no matter how old I am, I will always love that. Yeah. I'll always put it on in the car and Charlotte, who never listened to it when she was a kid, Charlotte's like, oh, what is this shit? Whereas me, I'm like, I love this. I love this music. Um, but yeah, uh, so my mum was very much into that sort of thing. Um, so that was always on. But then when I moved in with my dad, my dad was very much the Stone Roses, Oasis, um, Blur, um, Madness, New Order, all that um, uh, Happy Mondays and um, and all that sorts of things. So I've, very, I've got a very, very like, if you press shuffle on my Spotify, Oh, God knows what had come up. It yeah. could be anything. It could go from Miley Cyrus to Scooter to Oasis to, to anybody. It's, so, it's very random, which is why it's dangerous when I'm DJing after a drink. Because <laughs> if I'm DJing when I've had a drink, I sort of like, I get to that point where I'm like, I put a tune on and I'm like, I fucking love this. I love it. I'm not bothered if them out there are enjoying this because I'm enjoying this. So, yeah, so sometimes the, uh, and Andy Ellis is the same. Sometimes when we're DJing, we can throw something on. And Andrew Shim's a nightmare for it. Um, sometimes when we're DJing, we can sort of, we, we have to remind ourselves that people have paid to come see us. So maybe we need to stick to, to what's on the posters instead of, that's know. that's the thing, Tom. I mean, I, I, I run a club and, 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 you know, I, been a DJ for, for, for donkey's years and if you ever have a beer that's when you get that little thing in your head which is I know what they're like yeah. and when you have that it's certainly not anything they're going to fucking like I can no, promise you no, that it's no. like it's so dangerous isn't it <laughs> it's so dangerous but then like, and DJ crushing as well fun. crushing when no, you it's... actually press play and then you just get this kind of bewildered mass of people just what the yeah. fuck's this <laughs> yeah I know I know but then I think a lot of the time you know if, if you're DJing and if the DJ's having fun you can sort of you know we can we can get the crowd going and stuff but um, it's it's funny actually with the DJing because the first time I ever did it um, Vicky McClaw was supposed to do one in Leeds and just, she couldn't do it and she said do you want to go to Leeds and DJ and I was like I was working in a pub at this time and um, 
in my local pub. I was actually on shift when she rang me and I was like, I've never DJed before, Vic. She was like, it's fine. Just turn up, you know, tell them what songs they want. They'll know that you're not a DJ, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I got, and they said, oh, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll pay you. They'll give you all your drinks. They'll put you and your friends up in a hotel. I was like, yeah, I can do that. I, yeah, this sounds good. <laughs> so off we went, me and a few of my mates to Leeds. Um, and we had the best night ever. It was honestly... Yeah, he's getting bottles of vodka bought over. There's, you know, everyone wanted to be part of it. It was brilliant, and um, and then very slowly but surely, I started, you know, started asking questions very much like I do on set when I'm when I'm filming. I'm like, what does this do, or what does that do, or da da da. And then very slowly but surely, you know, I started picking things up, and then very quickly I was able to, you know, hold a, a, an hour set on my own, and then. And then very quickly, you know, I could now you could you could leave me on the DJ decks and I could be there all night if you wanted me to, because I've sort of learned very much about crowd control as well. You know, it's until have you like I'm assuming you've DJed sober. It's very difficult. <laughs> it's very difficult. It's so weird, like, because one of the other things that I'd done was I, I took up. I'm, I'm friends with the guy that plays Jane in between us. Oh, um, right. Is um, what's James. His name? James. Like, yeah. yeah and James, so he's brilliant. I got James out DJing. And I was ah. like, let's go and do this. Probably the same circuit that that that, that you and, and Shimmy and that yeah. were doing. And very much oh, like yeah, you. At first of all, I was kind of playing records for him and doing it. And then he'd be like, what's that? And then before you know it, he'd be like, I could be just sitting at the back of the booth. And he kind of yeah. got to grips with it. And Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. It is very much. But it's addictive, man. But there was a time, I think it was when This Is England 90 came on. There was a time when we did a... Um, almost like a little mini tour around the UK. And, uh, you know, we was in Leeds on Tuesday and then we was in Bath on Wednesday and then we was in Scotland on Thursday and then Wales on Friday. And it was like, it's just drinking every night. And it got to the point where I was, I was fucked. And I was like, I can't do this anymore because, you know, it's, it's not the same for me when I'm sober. Even if I'm just having a couple, it just, it's very much like, I, I just like to sort of get the feel for it. And, and I like to enjoy it myself as well. That's part of it. And I always said, once, once I stop enjoying it, that's maybe when I'll stop doing it because I'm not a DJ. I know that. Um, but once I stop enjoying it, maybe I'll, you know, cut back doing it a little bit. But now I've not done it for, well, well over a year for obvious reasons. I miss it, man. I miss it. But yeah, it's, um, it's such a good, it's such a good feeling doing the DJ and it's, it's good fun. Well, that leads us on perfectly uh, to track five, Tomo, which is the mm. song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Well, this, I sort of had two, I sort of had a massive change when I turned, to, mainly from the DJing, really, um, sort of from 18 to maybe 21. I was very, I, I used to love flares and reflex. You know, the, the 80s, 90s mm. bars. So we had one in Cleethorpes. So I was very much in, in their most weekends. So any, like, you know, the Whitney Houstons or the Queen and ABBA and all that. So any of those sorts of things really used to get me excited. And, you know, I, I used to, when Bohemian Rhapsody came on, I mean, you was, you was in a trance, weren't you? But then I started DJing. And for obvious reasons, my sort of crowd that I would attract for a DJ set may not be into that sort of music so I, I sort of really had to learn not learn because I did like it anyway but very much like Jamie T and the Kaiser Chiefs and you know the Killers and Stone Roses and Oasis and all so I very much had to um I very much had to adapt my music to what other people wanted um so I think I think Seven Nation Army for me now you know, if I went out and Seven Nation Army came on now, that would be me, you know, beeline straight for the dance floor. Yeah. Um, because that's always that's always a safe one. Going back to what we were saying, if you put a song on that the crowd aren't necessarily enjoying during a DJ set, you line Seven Nation Army up, you know your sound after that. They're going to forget about the the, yeah. the the shit you've just played because they're very much, they get lost in that. Yeah. And it's so good, particularly when you do festivals. Say if you go to Candle Calling or... Leeds and Reading, and you can get like you get on the mic and you can start getting a, the amount of times I've been bollocked for getting mosh pits going. <laughs> um, the one being, I, I did a silent disco at um, it was in Reading for Leeds and Reading Festival, and I, it was the most. There's a video of it somewhere. I can't remember. I think my brother took it because he was there with me, and it was the most insane. But whilst I'm getting this mosh pit going, I'm sort of thinking, 
I'd fucking love to be in there. <laughs> I'm up here. I'd fucking love to be in the middle of that. Um, so I think, yeah, Seven Nation Army is very much like a, a soundtrack of my clubbing, clubbing years. But then there's the, like, also, I think things like, even Rihanna, we found love. Anything yeah. like Nicki Minaj. Because sort of when I was 18, 19, I was into that sort of very, I sort of followed the crowd, really. So we'd go into places like the bootlegger in Cleethorpes and I sort of just followed the crowd, really. And, and that was sort of, there must have been times when, I don't know, Pitbull must have come on and I'm like, right, I'm having a bit of that. I'm straight to the pole. Do you like a dance? Um, sorry? Do you like a dance? A dance? No. But uh, jump around with my arms around people that I don't know and sort of singing. I, I love a sing-along. I'm yeah. a massive fan of a sing-along. So I always try and sort of end my DJ sets with very much like um, Sally Cinnamon and then a Wonderwall or something like yeah. that. Um, so I, I do love a sing-along. Um, but yeah, no, I'm not really like a wedding dancer yeah. as such. I like to go a bit nuts. I like to get sweaty. And maybe, well, I did. I don't know. I haven't, I've not been in, in a club for so long. I don't know. But I don't know what's happening now. Well, I'm going to take you home now. And for track six, a favourite song from your home county, please. I'm from Grimsby, so there's not really much. I mean, so Bernie Torpin was... Okay. So he was from Sleaford, which is Lincolnshire. So Grimsby's northeast Lincolnshire. So, I, I mean, this was a tough one. I mean, Bernie Taupin, for obvious reasons, you know, I learned more about him having watched Rocket Man with Taryn Edgerton. Um, and I didn't realise how involved in Elton John's life he was in the mm. sense that, you know, we wrote a lot of his music for him. Um, so, I mean, th- there was the, the, that, that was a very, very obvious one for me. But also there's a, there's a girl from Grimsby that I'm assuming a lot of people and the listeners wouldn't have heard of, but she's a girl, believe it or not, she's called Eden Lake. Really? She's called Eden Lake, which is one of a very early film that I made. It's a fucking um, a terrifying horror... film as well, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I remember, I think one of my friends was seeing her at one point and, um, and he said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm seeing this girl called Eden Lake. And I was like, Eden Lake? Like, surely not. And then um, Grimsby's a very small place. She plays live in one of our local places, um, Bobbin in Cleethorpes. Um, and I went and watched her and, we, you know, I, I spoke to her a bit and we, we become really good friends. And she's got the most incredible voice. Um, so much so she she came and played at our wedding, bless her. Um, me and Charlotte got married on New Year's Eve two years ago. Um, and she came along and she's just got the most incredible voice. And she's got this song called Bad, Bad Man. Um, and it just really, ex- I think I just her voice is really ad- addictive and it's sort of like, just kind of really drags you in. She's got this sort of like husky tone. Um, so anything that she sort of covers or anything like that, she's on Instagram and things. Um, but yeah, she's really, really, she's got such a great voice, but it's sort of a tough one for Grimsby because there isn't many people who have sort of made it in a sense that, you know, a lot of people will know. But how surreal that the one that does it's got the same name as a film using. That's, that's mad. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so it's yeah. Th- there's, that's um, a great film, Tomo. It's a really good film, that man. And it was oh, like, thanks, mate. and it was like, it's, it's really weird. I'm not a big fan of horror films, and I watched that, and I was like, that is terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's sort of because it's it was so close to to reality as well, wasn't it? In a sense yeah. that you know you get all these. Kids that you know that will be knocking around on street corners or in the woods or whatever that you know the unpredictability of kids, particularly nowadays. I think it's um, you know it'll, it'll ring a lot of truth to, to kids nowadays. And again, we never really knew. I, I, well, personally, I never knew the the sort of effect that that would have had that that did have on people. Um, I think that was the second. It was the second feature film that I'd ever made. Um, so again, I was very naive in a way that. I was very much just there sort of learning my craft and um and just learning so much day by day. It was um it was a great experience. It was fucking cold. We was filming in um Black Park behind um Pinewood Studios in Slough and uh I remember thinking, yeah, Jesus, we did a lot of night shoots, it was freezing. Um and as a kid I'm like miserable about it. I'm like, you fuck bullshit, it's fucking freezing. Why are we working? It's freezing. Whereas now you're working because you're getting paid, mate. Um, but yeah, no, that was um, it was a good experience. That it was good. 
I've not seen it for a long time. Before I ask the, for the last track, uh, mm. Tom, um, I just want to ask one. I just want to ask you something. I, I, um, I interviewed uh, Helen Bean. Um, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, she's uh, lovely. Uh, she was wonderful. And, oh, she's brilliant. Uh, and 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 I, I I've recently rewatched uh, This Is England. Um, I watched it before I interviewed Joe, and so and then mm. obviously Helen's done it, and 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 it's great. Getting she was it. so good. She was everyone was so good, but Helen was. Um, Oh, she was amazing. She was really, really good. And I was so chuffed for her, for um, a BAFTA nomination for The yeah. Virtues. She deserved that so much. She was brilliant. And I just wanted to ask her, and what you touched upon about getting yourself in an emotional state, um, you know, and then having to kind of then process that when you, you know, you come off set and you go home. She, she, she sort of touched on that because I asked her, and I'm going to ask you the same question. I, I think... Possibly the greatest piece of television I've ever watched is is that scene in in ninety when you're all sitting around the the, the dinner table. Yeah, uh, I, I think is just one of the most powerful bits of television I've, I've ever witnessed. Mm. How was that for you? That scene? It was exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting, and I didn't say a word throughout the whole thing. And it's very much like, well, we shot that in one take. We did one take for that, and it was about, I'm going to say about 45 minutes. So the so Shane and Nikki Salt, who was the first AD on um, 90, they created such a tense atmosphere on set. Nobody was allowed on set. It was only us and the cameraman, and it was very much like these guys... Uh, because it, it we, we was thinking about everything, and... You know the, the 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 performance that Johnny Harris put in for you know for for eighty six and eight and you know the the the, the flashbacks and things for eighty eight and ninety, the performance that that man put in was I think one of the best things I've ever seen, and it, because I say that because he's one of the most you've, he's been on the podcast, hasn't he? He was one of the first people, and he's one of the loveliest men I ever met. <laughs> it's genuinely like m- my wife's the same, and Andy Ellis's wife was the same. They couldn't believe how nice he was. He doesn't <laughs> swear, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. He's such a, he's the most genuine. Some of the messages that Johnny would, you know, he, t- he sent me a text for my birthday and um, he's just such a sweetheart and, and he, he's so honest to himself and he's so sort of, he's just got the most beautiful soul. Um, so for that performance that he put in for that, you know, we, we very much, I personally very took, took myself back to what he did and, the pain that he that he you know put on to to Vicky and um Daniel Watson who played Trev and for himself as well and for Stephen and for Shane and for the crew members who watched it because I know how difficult that sort of thing is uh, well I don't obviously but I, I you get a real sense of how they felt about the whole thing um and it was very much um it was so real and so raw. Um, yeah. And we sort of, because the, the take was going on for so long, we very quickly forgot that it was, that we was on a film set, you know, very quickly forgot about the cameras and seeing Vicky McClure in that state and, you know, Joe Gilgan and, and Andrew Shim. I think that that scene is one of the best things I think Andrew Shim's ever done. I think he, he's so good in that. Um, as is everybody. I just think it just felt so real and so raw. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to say that the emotions was easy, but they were so natural. I, we didn't have to think, I didn't have to think, oh my God, I've got to cry here or, oh my God, I need to say something. It was very much just the the, the way Sean felt is, is exactly how I felt. And that's why you know, in that situation, I, I didn't have anything to say, so I didn't need to say anything. It was very much about everybody else, and you know, it was just, um, yeah. I mean, again, I, I recently rewatched that, and it's, um, yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, just the emotions that you get from even just from watching it and taking you back to that to what we went through that day was, you know, I, we we had a full day of filming set up for after that, and Shane cut, said cut and just said there's no fucking way I'm, we can f- carry on today and just called the day. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was beautiful. It really was beautiful. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last track, Tomo. Mm. A song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. So this was, so like a guilty pleasure? It can be, yeah. Right. Um, I mean, any, I'm a big fan of Lewis Capaldi. Okay. I mean. I really like Lewis Capaldi, but, I mean, there's no shame in that. I think he's no. brilliant. Um, and one of the funniest people on the planet. And one of the funniest <laughs> men ever. He's, um, I think he's, He's got a very sort of mainstream audience um, and the people who follow my work might not necessarily like his, his, his work. Um, so anything Lewis Capaldi, um, and it sort of happened by accident. Someone had tagged me in a photo going, oh, this Lewis Capaldi guy looks like Thomas Sergus. And I was like, I didn't really see it at first. But then uh, Lewis, uh, he'd followed me on Instagram and he said... Um, do you want to come to a show? So me and Charlotte went to one of his gigs. And I tell you what, I cried my eyes out. Really? I cried my eyes out. Because uh, it, it was just it was just one man and a guitar. And it, that's, all, that's all he needed. Um, and he, he sang, there's, there's a song called Bruises that he wrote. And he performed that. And I, I turned around and at the top of the, I think it's the O2 Academy in Manchester, um, uh, oh, is it the, the Ritz? I think it's the O2 Academy in Manchester. And I turned around, and on the balcony there was the um, there was the disabled um, seating, and there was a young girl there. She must have been nine or ten, and she was holding onto her mum's hand, and she was singing every word to his to his music. And I I remember turning around and just seeing how fixated this this girl was on him and and his music, and it just and it it broke my heart. And it was one of them that. I sort of turned round and I was like, and then Charlotte turned round and then the guys next to us turned round and then everyone, and before you know it, everyone was turning round looking at this little girl in a wheelchair singing his music. And it just, it was just, it just broke my heart, but it was also the, one of the most heartwarming things that I've ever seen as well. So yeah, that was, so anything sort of by Lewis Capaldi, he's very much a, a guilty pleasure of mine, but I, I mean, I never really saw the, the, the similarities between us, but after the gig, we went for a pint and there's a photo of me and Lewis and we've literally got the same face. It's so weird. <laughs> Honestly, it's so strange. And I shit you not, I put the photo on Facebook and it tagged my dad. You know how Facebook tags, <laughs> so it goes, you, this, you may be in this photo. And I shit you not, it tagged my dad on Facebook. I was like, fucking hell, is Lewis Capaldi my dad? Oh, that's <laughs> right. Honestly, yeah, I'll, I'll send you the photo after this. We've, we've got exactly the same face. It's, I know, like, when we talk or, or, or when we're, you know, doing videos, obviously facial expressions are different, but on that photo, it's like, I, it confirmed it for me. I thought, fucking hell. I wish I was as funny as him. I think he's... <laughs> It's funny. Have you seen the Graham Norton um, thing where he goes, that's lots of bums on seats and lots of fucking money in my pocket. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's brilliant, but you know, I guess a lot of, a lot of the fans of my work might not necessarily like him. So I guess that's kind of a bit of a, a guilty pleasure. Perfect. Well, Tom, we put together a, a Spotify playlist uh, to accompany the, the podcast so people can go and listen to uh, mm. all, all your choices and the tracks that we've, we've chatted about today, mate. Um, as 2021 is, is picking up speed now, we're recording this at the beginning of Feb, um, with a kind of positive outlook on vaccinations being rolled out and infection mm-hmm. rates dropping. Um, 
what are you looking forward to personally this year and what's happening professionally, mate? What am I looking forward to? I mean, I've not missed the pubs as such because I'm not a big drinker as much anymore and more so now because of the lockdown. I was very lucky that I never drink at home. I'm one of them that I don't sit at home and have a beer watching EastEnders. It's not, I've never done that. So it's very rare. I mean, I could probably count on, on my hands how many times I've been pissed since March last year through lockdown. Um, so I've not missed the pubs. I've missed my friends. I've missed going out for a cup of tea with my mates or, or even just a pint or, or some pub grub. So I'm very much looking forward to being able to go around to my friends and, and sort of, you know, see the kids and hug my family, my little brother, my nieces and nephews and things like that. So that's, that's the main thing that I'm looking forward to. Um, hopefully I start filming on a job in May. Um, obviously I can't say what that is, um, which is very exciting, um, but also nerve wracking. And it's kind of weird because whenever you land a job, you should feel excited and you should be buzzing. Whereas now because this has come in and because of everything that's going on and I really have become a bit of a hermit. So I'm a bit like, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about going to work and having the COVID test two day, two or three times a week. I'm a bit, I'm, I'm more nervous than excited, which is a very strange sort of feeling. Um, so I'm very, very much looking forward to sort of getting that first week out of the way and getting back to very much to, to normality. Um, I made a film two years ago called Creation Stories, which is mm. based on um, Alan McGee's legacy. Um, who obviously is famous for finding Oasis and uh, Primal Scream and, you know, many other great bands. Um, and it was just an all-round fucking nutter. Um, so, yeah, that was good fun. That, that was uh, that up there with some of my favourite. You know, I got to party like I was, you know, hanging around with Alan McGee, which I think a lot of us would like to do, having watched. And, and My- Michael's in that as well, right? Michael Socker's in that, yeah. yeah. And that was the first job we'd done away from This Is England. And we had big wigs and glasses and things like that. I've seen the picture. You look great. And, oh, uh, yeah. and so did, did you get to meet Alan? Yeah, well, yeah, it's kind of weird because Alan, Alan's become a good friend of mine. And it's so strange because I think one of the best things I've ever watched is the, the Supersonic documentary. It's amazing, that, oh, isn't it? It's one of the best things. I, can't, I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen it. And, and then when I got told about Creation Stories, I was like, fuck me i'm excited about this and then alan was on set and um, it's a funny story actually because alan he he said he'd seen this is england but didn't recognize me because i had my all the all my my get up on and i'd gone up to him and i said oh alan i said i'm i'm thomas nice to meet you i said thanks for having me as part of the you know your story and uh he said he walked away from that conversation and he, and he googled my name and he was like he didn't know if i'd like not won a competition but he was like oh this 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 guy's like done well to be here like who is he because he'd obviously not seen me in all my get up then he googled me and went on my instagram and seen that you know i've got a, I, I like to think a good body of work and, and you know respectable work so and alan was kind of like oh fucking hell yeah that's that the, the young kid from this is england he's in this is he so it was kind of like so that from then on me and alan we, we always have a good laugh um so yeah it's um yeah, that's exciting, man, and it's such a good film as well. When, such a good film. I've still not seen a trailer yet. No, yeah. So it's Alan. Um, Alan texted me the other day and said that, that we're allowed to say now it's going to be out in Sky, on Sky Cinema um, on March the twentieth. Um, for obvious reasons, there's not going to be a cinema release straight away. Whether they, you know, pick that back up, I yeah. don't know. Um, but I mean, people are going to fucking love it. It's I so good. Know. Honestly, wait. me and Charlotte, we we managed to get a little uh, screening of it last year. Last year? Yeah, it was maybe last year. Um, we went to London and watched it, and the soundtrack's mint, and the, it's so fast-paced and funny, and it's. I think people are going to really, really enjoy it. I, we loved it, and it's very rare that Charlotte enjoys any films, let alone some of my films. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if we, get Charlotte's, um, if we get Charlotte's blessing, I think we're all right. Wonderful. Tom, yeah. it's been a proper joy chatting to you, mate. Yeah, I've loved it, mate. It's been good. I'm glad we finally got to do it. Oh, wicked. Mate, I wish you all the best uh, for, for, for Creation Stories and, and the project in May. And, uh, and as soon as this is done and dusted and, and you're next down in London, then I'll, I'll hit you up and I'll buy you a beer, man. Yeah, nice one, mate. Nice one. I appreciate it. Lovely. Thanks, Cheers, mate. mate. There you go. Tomo, what an absolute legend. 
Um, wonderful chat. I knew that was going to be good. I was super excited. Um, you know, just getting to to talk to him about you know these some of the most like beautiful and powerful television you know I've ever seen, and and it's nice that you know. Tomo seems happy to still kind of talk about how much love he's got for, you know, for those shows. It's, 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 it was, I feel really privileged to kind of get insight into, to, you know, how, you know, how these scenes are put together and, 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 I, and you know, and a big fan of his work and can't wait to, to see creation stories, man. I'm just super hyped to hear that and, and just getting to, to chat about the roses and, you know, so much good music. It was a real, real, real pleasure. And, and as mentioned at the, at the beginning, if you're, you know, you are a fan of uh, This Is England, then then go and check out my chats with um, Joe Hartley, Helen Bean, uh, and Johnny Harris um, because I don't know what it is about that show, but everybody in it just is an absolute delight to talk to. Um, so, yeah, go and give them a, a spin. Thanks once more to Tomo for giving up his time. Um, really, really enjoyed that. And if you lot get a fraction of the joy um, listening as I did having that, that conversation then uh, then that's wonderful um all the stuff i mentioned at the beginning about back catalog and patreon and everything else you can find out uh, at the website which is www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com right that's me done thanks ever so much for listening if you see us on the socials give us a like love share retweet and all that stuff and uh, and i'll speak to you soon take care bye-bye i've got an announcement save our souls clothing www sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, They've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk do a bit of shopping see what you like throw it in the basket and then on the way out put in the discount code BEAT15 B-E-A-T-1-5 and that'll save you 15% off amazing right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat & Track Podcast It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. You've made stew with him. Eat a monkey.